Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Rejecting Badger Care expansion will cost state taxpayers $634 million over the next two years. A new push to expand Medicaid in Wisconsin. We've had this discussion so many times, it's getting stale. Meets a familiar fate. The long-term net is bad for the state of Wisconsin. Governor Evers dangles a billion-dollar carrot, but GOP lawmakers refuse to bite. For the Republicans just to sort of ignore the governor or play games is not right. And whose child is more important? Is it the child who may be immune compromised or is it the child who's having anxiety attacks from masking? Calls to unmask students are stirring debate in school districts across the state. I am here begging that we continue to require masks in a school setting. As the city of Milwaukee is just days away from a plan to lift COVID-19 restrictions altogether. From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson, and this week, once again, we welcome Fox 6 political reporter Jason Calvi to the podcast. Good morning, Jason. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. So we are recording this episode on Wednesday, May 26th, for release on Thursday, May 27th. And the timing of that has implications for one of the subjects we're going to touch on, Jason, the future of Milwaukee's COVID-19 restrictions and mask order. And we'll get to that in a minute. The city's Public Safety and Health Committee is discussing that right now as we're recording or within a few minutes of us recording. So we'll talk a little bit about what they're going to be discussing. But first, let's start with yet another stalemate in Madison between Governor Evers and GOP lawmakers, something you've seen time and time again as you've been reporting on uh, what goes on in Madison. This time it's the Medicaid program, and there's some real history here. This isn't a new issue. It's been going on for years. Give us a little bit of that history and and how we get to to what was going on this week in Madison. So right now, uh, Wisconsin is one of 12 states in the country that has not expanded Medicaid. Now, this is this is something that dates back and has been a, a fight since the passage of the Affordable Care Act, or what's also known as Obamacare. And uh, there are federal, pretty much the federal government is paying a huge chunk, really, a ninety like ninety percent of Medicaid expansion uh, for these states. Now, what does that mean? Well, what that means, what we're talking about here is is a coverage gap between what the uh, people that are able to get on the Affordable Care exchanges, those people that get health care uh, on the exchanges, there is a gap between those people and those who can receive Medicaid, which is a health, health insurance program for, for poor residents, uh, poor people in the United States. And when you say gap, when you say gap, do you mean like a, a gap in terms of the income levels at which people can do those things? Yeah. So there's a gap in the income, in the income levels here. So certain people to qualify for the exchanges have to make a certain amount of money to get on those exchanges. And then to receive Medicaid, you have to receive less than a certain amount of money. But there is a gap between 
the exchanges and Medicaid, and that gap is what we're talking about when we say Medicaid expansion. So states are going to cover those people that are stuck in the middle with no access to either the exchanges or Medicaid. Now, that is what we're talking about when we're talking about Medicaid expansion. And what we're talking about in Wisconsin is that what the Republicans are saying here is, well, those people in the middle that are kind of in other states trapped in the middle, those people in Wisconsin actually get to get on Medicaid. They, they already, they don't have that coverage gap. So they're saying there's really no purpose for expanding and taking this federal money, no, no purpose in taking the Medicaid expansion, which they think in the long run is going to lead to uh, higher costs for the state. And as they, they think that the federal money is going to trickle down, they think, and that that's going to lead to a situation where you know the, the state is going to have these huge obligations and they're not going to be able to meet them. So that's why they're saying right now they don't even want to get started with taking this uh, this expansion. Now, why is this issue coming up again this year in particular? Because this isn't new. This isn't a debate that just began in 2021. It's been around before and Republicans have rejected it time and time again. Why is it coming up and why did the, the uh, Democrats, why did Governor Evers think maybe they had a, a way to push it over the top? So the what they're looking at right now is the American Rescue Plan, which was signed into law by President Biden, passed you know Senate in the House. Uh, that includes enticements for these twelve states, Wisconsin included, that do not have Medicaid expansion. It includes these enticements to get them finally to uh, to agree to the Medicaid expansion, and Wisconsin would receive a one billion dollar with a B billion dollar bonus. If they expanded Medicaid, uh, that money would be coming to the state, would be paying for other costs. So it'd be a savings that the state would have extra billion dollars to use. And so what Governor Evers was suggesting was that he was going to use that for various projects, more than 50 projects across the state. He was suggesting, for example, $15 million in diversity blood, uh, blood research institute in Wauwatosa so that they can do blood cancer research and other research into various conditions there in Wauwatosa, looking at uh, $2 million to the United Community Center on the south side of the city. They're, they're, they've got an early learning center there now, and he was going to invest $2 million of that billion-dollar money into, into that community center there. I mean, programs across the state, including... Uh, you know, places in Green Bay. I mean, you just look, you, you can look at, at the, uh, the list that the governor put out and it was programs across the state that were going to benefit from this billion dollar bonus from the federal government. But at the end of the day, and he, he actually, the governor actually called a special session of the legislature and that special session was scheduled for yesterday. Uh, and the governor does have the power to call a special session of the legislature, but he does not have the power to force a debate or to force a, a vote on any particular issue. So yesterday he called that special session to expand Badger Care, and pretty much in the Senate, it was about 10 seconds. They gaveled in, they gaveled out. In the assembly, it was maybe roughly 40 seconds, so it was a little bit longer in the assembly, but again, gaveled in, gaveled out. The special session is over. Wisconsin will not be expanding Medicaid this time around. And they will not be receiving that $1 billion bonus from the federal government, an enticement for states like Wisconsin to get on board with, all, with, uh, with most of the country on expanding Medicaid. 
I know a lot of times when there's a potential, you know, large payment like this, you know, billion dollars coming along with the decision to potentially expand Medicaid, uh, you you might hear Republicans say, well, the governor's just going to spread that money around to his political cronies, to special interests who support Democrat causes and things like that. But it sounds like the governor here tried to make this something that was uh, more of an enticement to uh, GOP lawmakers by promising to spend some of that money on things that Republicans themselves might want, hoping that that would get them to go along. Was it, was that the plan? Was that the intention? Yeah. I mean, it was really, I mean that in, in what Republicans said, looking at that long list was there, this is a political stunt. Uh, if the governor wanted to fund those various programs, like the ones I just mentioned, well, he could, he could use some of the uh, billions of dollars that are that are coming to the state with the federal stimulus money that he could use that money. So they were questioning that. But exactly what you had said in the intro was it was a carrot uh, that the that the governor was using to try to get the legislature to finally, after many years of opposing Medicaid expansion, to get them to finally agree to it. But it really, at the end of the day, didn't work, and he didn't convince the Republican leadership to to go along with this. Uh, one of the things Democrats bring up is what's happening in other states. We saw in Oklahoma, you know, very you know, conservative states like Oklahoma as well as Missouri, they both had a referenda and actually put it to the people, and the people of those two states actually agreed that uh, voted for Medicaid expansion. So those two states moved forward. That Oklahoma actually is going to be starting open enrollment for that program uh, this summer in June, and then the program will actually kick off in, in July. So we're seeing that, uh, you know, the Democrats are trying to push that, you know, the people support this. Uh, This is something that they want to see happen. But at the end of the day, Republicans said this is not a good investment. At the end of the day, they they felt like they were really going to be at the long term taking on a lot more costs by expanding Medicaid and that they didn't want to see people lose their private health insurance to get on to the public option of of Badger Care. And they also said that uh, at the end of the day, this was not a good investment for the state, that these people are already covered uh, because of the situ- unique situation in Wisconsin. So it was a fierce debate, even though there wasn't a public debate on the floor of the chambers yesterday, that you know, both, both sides were getting in on the media and doing you know, press conferences and various things to try to make their point clear. Uh, Democrats had a press conference at the Capitol yesterday, but they just, again, were not able to convince Republicans to go along with this, as you called it, uh, the carrot that the governor was presenting. You, you mentioned something interesting, though, that, and, and I, I think it's worth at least going back over for people who don't quite get what's at play here, because in other states that have not expanded Medicaid because of their concerns, potentially, that they might be uh, taking on future obligations that they won't be able to afford, they have been left with a coverage gap that has people caught in the middle, as you described it earlier on, people who make too little to get onto the exchanges, but too much to be in Medicaid. Wisconsin, you said, does not have that same coverage gap, yet we still haven't accepted the expansion of the program. Therefore, we don't get this extra federal money. What what would be the benefit to expand, aside from the federal money, what would be the benefit uh, what is the argument the Democrats make would be the benefit of expanding Medicaid if there's no coverage gap here to begin with? What we we talked with the governor, he was actually in Milwaukee last week pitching this whole idea of expanding Medicaid, and he was he was at the community center I mentioned with the with the young the uh, the young children there uh, on the south side of the city, and he was he was saying, hey, we're going to invest you know two million dollars here if this if we get this one billion dollar bonus, and I think what he was suggesting was yes, these people may have access. To healthcare through through the unique situation here in Wisconsin, but he, he was suggesting that that getting them 
better healthcare options uh, through Badger Care, and, and that's point one. Is is it you know he was suggesting it was better care, but then point number two is this is this is a one time opportunity, you know, one billion dollars. And how can you say no to one billion dollars? So that was his argument. Of course, Republicans had their own argument. So I think that was what what was making this whole situation unique this time around was that American Rescue Plan money, that $1 billion bonus for the states uh, to accept this this Medicaid expansion. So that was sort of what was going on with this debate. That raises a question for me, Jason, because um, I, I wonder if we're going to see more of this. Obviously, right now we're seeing all across the country uh, an influx of money that local governments haven't seen in in generations coming in from these various COVID relief programs. Uh, the city of Milwaukee, you know, is, is looking at right now, how do we spend hundreds of millions of dollars that are coming in in relief? The state of Wisconsin is looking at how do they spend all kinds of money coming in. And what I wonder is how, ma- how much of this uh, influx of funds from various relief programs comes with these kinds of strings attached. And as Republicans, they objected not because they don't want a billion dollars, but because they don't want the future obligations that come with the strings that are attached to that. And I wonder, is that one of the things we may see with a lot of this money coming in is the one-time opportunity is very enticing, but does it come with future strings attached that could cost local taxpayers down the road? And is that sort of the tension that that's out there right now? Well, definitely when you talk to Republicans that oppose this American Rescue Plan, that was one of their problems is the strings, uh, if you look at what the Treasury Department put out, the guidance to the municipalities, the short-term strings are that the money has to be used for certain purposes. For example, it can be used for uh, water and sewer infrastructure. It can be used to pay uh, premium pay for those frontline workers who worked you know, during the pandemic. It can be used for lost revenue. For example, if a city, because uh, they they got rid of their you know permitting fees or whatever the case may be during the pandemic, uh, they can they can make up for that lost revenue using some of this money. They can also invest in communities, you know, businesses, uh, people that have been really hurt by the pandemic. Think about the businesses that did, you know had to close down for months at a time for whatever reason. So those are what the strings, the short term strings are from the Treasury Department. Is the money has to be used for one of those purposes. A list of purposes that the Treasury Department put out there it can't be used for tax cuts. It can't be used for pensions, things like that, that that are in the law as well as the guidance from the Treasury Department. But if you talk to Republicans, the long-term strings of this billions of dollars, and for example, Milwaukee is going to see $394 million coming in to the city. Uh, and so the long-term strings, according to the Republicans, are that it's going to hamper the future generation. This is this is our you know. There's not a money tree. They say that this is this is money. This is actually taxpayer money that's coming from somewhere, and that uh, it's going to be paid for by future generations. Our our children and our grandchildren will have this uh, this money. This 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 problem will be uh, where did this money come from? And so that's what they're bringing up is the long term ramifications of all of this money being flooded into the system, and that is what why you saw the American Rescue Plan did not pass with any Republican votes in either chamber. Speaking of broad implications, Jason, I'm going to shift gears a little bit, but we, we've talked a lot uh, on Fox 6 News and here on the podcast about mask wearing and, and where it's appropriate, where it's necessary, where it's required, the powers of the governor to require certain things, the powers of, of local governments to do it. And now we're getting to a place where 
the CDC has has come out with guidelines that relax the call for mask wearing among fully vaccinated people. But that's almost sort of thrown everything into chaos because it's not so easy to quickly identify who is fully vaccinated, who is not. And, and now we have this uh, as the school year is coming to a close, we have school districts all across the state that are hearing from parents, some of whom are adamant that they need to stop making kids wear masks and other parents who are impassioned teachers and, and administrators who are, who are passionate about keeping the masks on, at least for the time being. I know you've been tracking this, but it seems like this is sort of popping up like popcorn in school districts all over the state. Is this happening sort of one by one? What's going on with this issue as we near the end of the school year? The last uh, the last month, really, these, these school board meetings have have across across our view, viewing range across the state really where where uh, there's been there's always a public comment period at these board meetings so parents have organized at the local level showing up and, and speaking out against or for masks uh, and you also saw rallies in places across the state as well like Monotomy Falls had a rally and and uh, in various other places had, had these rallies where parents would show up and, and say you know it's time to get rid of the masks. Uh, so you, re- you really just saw it kind of really picking up uh, in the last few weeks, and, and I think they see see an opening here to, to get that discussion moving ahead. And you saw places like the, the Waukesha School District saying, okay, masks are no longer required. Uh, you saw places like uh, Elmbrook saying that they're going to they're going to get rid of mask requirement for the summer school. Um, so you saw a lot of of movement on, on these particular issues, and and um, it really has developed. There's there's Facebook groups where parents are kind of strategizing and, and talking about uh, about next steps and and planning. You know, making sure that parents are showing up to school board meetings uh, and, and really voicing their opinions one way or the other if they're you know for masks or against them in the school setting. So that that's one component of this, and it's really part of a larger emphasis on the future of masks mask mandates and mask ordinances across the state. Uh, you, you're seeing, um, for example, Milwaukee is going to be getting rid of theirs uh, June 1st. We can get into that in a second. You saw uh, Wauwatosa. They're the only ones I know of that move to distinguish between fully vaccinated and non-vaccinated. Um, with Shorewood and Whitefish Bay and some other municipalities, they they just ended up getting rid of their mask ordinance completely and making it a well, the, the challenge in, in that would seem to be how do you determine i mean it really is an honor system because you can't card people uh you know i can't imagine you would i don't know maybe that's an option somewhere but i can't imagine saying hey yeah i don't see you with a mask on show me your vaccine card that doesn't seem realistic right and that's what the health commissioner in milwaukee was saying when they were talking about the the issue of masking and and keep you know keeping that on the books it was the difficulty in how do we know when you go to a public setting, when you go to the mall or the supermarket, you know, go to your grocery store, uh, how do you know who's vaccinated and who's not? And, and it gets into privacy issues and, all, and the whole the whole gamut that you just mentioned. Uh, so at the end of the day, that's why I think Milwaukee in particular decided that, you know, it was time to uh, to look at getting rid of their ordinance. Now, it's a complicated issue because if you look at the text of the ordinance that passed unanimously last summer in Milwaukee, uh, it says that this mask ordinance, this face requirement, which uh, face mask, face covering requirement, which uh, which applies outside with when you're within six feet of somebody that you don't live with, that's not from your family or household, and then indoor public places. So you're thinking about your you know churches, your supermarkets, those sorts of places where you'd have you know your library, you'd have to be masked up according to that ordinance. Uh, so that's what it says. That was passed unanimously last summer. But it, it said, well, how long does this? How long is this ordinance in place? And it said. 
in the ordinance text. This is in place for the length of the Milwaukee's Milwaukee, moving Milwaukee forward health orders. That's the, the health emergency for the city. And so there were two options really to get rid of the ordinance in Milwaukee. The first option was to have the common council just pass a new updated ordinance where maybe they, uh, they dealt with the mask ordinance in some way and, and updated it in some way to maybe say, okay, only uh, vaccinated people, uh, non-vaccinated people have to wear a mask in public places. Again, that would get into the difficult issues we just talked about. So they could have updated it in any number of ways, and they were actually moving to update it to get rid of the outdoor requirement uh, at the committee level. Uh, but then the second avenue for getting rid of the, the ordinance was if it's based on the duration of it is based uh, on the duration of how, you know, the, the moving Milwaukee forward program, the other option was that the administration could just get rid of that, those health emergencies. And, and that was the option that they went with option number two. They said on June 1st, moving Milwaukee forward will end. And because the ordinance is tied, the duration is tied with however long that order is in effect. Therefore on June 1st, Milwaukee's mask mandate and mask ordinance goes away completely with no with no distinction between vaccinated, fully vaccinated and, and non-vaccinated. And there's a couple of different things going on here because we've talked about schools. We've also talked about local governments and, and, and you know, cities and things like that. So in Milwaukee, when this emergency order ends and therefore the mask requirement ends and all of these other COVID-19 restrictions. And obviously that applies to everyone, adults, kids, everybody at the same time. And, and there's obviously some people who are saying, well, wait a minute, the the pandemic's not gone. You know, we we haven't we haven't seen an end to COVID-19. In fact, there's discussion that it is now endemic, that it is not going away maybe ever. And we're going to have it around like we have the flu and other things. But level activity levels are still high enough in terms of disease activity. There are some who who have these great concerns. Why did the city suddenly make this decision to to eliminate these things? And the mayor has said we're following the science as we have all along. The CDC says these guidelines should be relaxed. So that's what we are doing. Um, but there are certainly others, Jason, who, who say, well, hang on a minute, though. This isn't over yet. Right. And, and, and that's what we're hearing from Alderwoman uh, Marina Dmitrievich. She, she's the one who was the original sponsor of the city's mask ordinance. And, and I you know, had a I asked for an interview with her. She ended up doing an interview with Fox 6 uh, last week to talk about this issue. But in our email exchanges, I said, well, you know, because she was saying she didn't want to see the indoor mask ordinance go away until vaccination numbers got got higher. And now we know those numbers may never get to where we once thought the, the goal was, which was that 70 or 80 percent for herd immunity. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and so she was saying she wanted to she wanted to wait to keep this in place until the uh, the, the vaccination numbers got higher, especially uh, here in Milwaukee. I think they're around 40 percent right now, Brian. Um, and and so last time I checked, at least I think that's where we are. That's about right. Yeah. yeah. For and, fully vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Uh, you know, she said, well, I want to see those numbers get a lot higher before we before we get rid of the mask requirement in, in Milwaukee. And I said, well, but isn't this a case of uh, of not following the science? Because the CDC is saying if you're fully vaccinated, you can go out in public, you can go back, you know, into public situations, most public situations, except for public transit, they still are recommending it and other, you know, flying and, and taking a bus and train, things like that. But uh, but in so isn't this a situation, uh, Alderwoman, where we're not following the science because if you're having a mask mandate on the books for everybody, universal, uh, and the CDC is saying that these people that are vaccinated, fully vaccinated, don't need to wear the mask, aren't you now not following the science? And again, she said that it's a, it's a situation of you know protecting the city 
and getting those vaccination numbers up higher, that would change the conversation for her. Um, and you see, you know, I know Madeline Anderson, one of our reporters here, did a story talking to, to some parents, and and we're seeing even in the public comments uh, with the with the Common Council going on right now, uh, where we're seeing um, some of the emails that were shared with the council, uh, a mother of a five-year-old saying, hey, I, I want to go to the grocery store with my daughter, but if people aren't wearing masks, my five-year-old can't get vaccinated, she's saying. So I, I she felt like she's going to put her daughter in danger going out in public where you know, people at the grocery store might not be vaccinated, or maybe she doesn't know, but they're no longer going to be required to wear that mask. So how is she going to protect her daughter going out in public? So that's that's the question that we're seeing. And of course, on the other side, uh, you know, people are saying uh, it's time it's time to open up. It's time to, to get rid of the requirements and let this be just an option, just to, as the CDC is uh, saying, if you're fully vaccinated, you can go out in public without that mask. And so it's time to, to get rid of these requirements. Well, Jason, I know this one of the issues that's been, uh, you know, a concern in schools in particular for people who said they want to see these things continue is that children under 12 still are not eligible for the vaccine. On the other hand, children under 12 are also not particularly vulnerable to COVID-19 in terms of serious illness and death, but they could still be spreaders. And then you have people who raise the questions about those sorts of things. What we do know is this. We know that restrictions are being relaxed more and more, no matter where we look. I mean, you know, you now see some grocery store chains don't require masks. Um, we're seeing that's the direction we're headed. Even as those things have relaxed, one bit of good news is if you look at the current state of disease in Wisconsin, 383 new cases yesterday, even with all of the people who now are not wearing masks, 225 people hospitalized. That continues to go back down. It dropped way down from a peak in November, started to rise back up a month or so ago, but it's dropping back down again. Still eight new deaths reported yesterday. Um, so obviously this hasn't gone away, but the numbers look better even as things begin to relax. And I think we're looking at a summer that is summer ahead that's approaching something perhaps a little more like a normal summer, though, as we know, some of the biggest events uh, around uh, fireworks just uh, announced this week that uh, uh, the lakefront fireworks will not happen in Milwaukee this year. They're postponed until 2022. But State Fair and Summerfest are going to happen, even though Summerfest is going to be in September, which we've never seen before. So there's a we're beginning to see those signs of normalcy, but uh, clearly it's not over yet. Yeah, that's right. And you brought up those numbers and, and the COVID numbers being, you know, way down. And that was what the mayor and the health commissioner in Milwaukee were saying is, you know, vaccination numbers are are getting, get, you know, getting up and, and the, the numbers of deaths and the number of, of new cases are, are, are going down. And so they thought that was the right time to sort of reopen and get rid of those formal restrictions that are on the books. Because, I mean, all these businesses as well on June 1st will no longer have to follow their their you know mandated health plans. So that means that you know they'll be able to have a little bit more seating indoors and um, you know, they won't you know going to church for example where you would see you know pew every other pew blocked off for example those sorts of things are no longer going to be on the books. You saw the archdiocese of Milwaukee for example uh, saying now it's you know, you know parish, parishes can can get kind of get back to normal as far as seating and and things like that at churches uh, you know places that might have had ticketing for for services are, are, are getting rid of their tickets some, some places I know of. So uh, you're seeing that things are opening up again. And, and back to the mandate, the, the mask mandate, of course, you know, the statewide level, we haven't had a mask mandate for a while now. The state Supreme Court struck down the, uh, the governor's health emergencies, repeated health emergencies, which was tied in with the mask mandate. So at the state level, we haven't had a mask mandate. It's just these local municipalities in, in Milwaukee County, for example, that have had some of these mask ordinances now 
getting rid of them in the, either in the last week or in the week to come. Uh, so we're really seeing that, that now what, what Milwaukee is dealing with, the state has already dealt with um, with not having a mask mandate on the books. So we'll see, again, the state numbers going down, and we don't have a mask mandate on the books right now for the state level. And now is a good time for us to hit the part of the podcast where we go off the record. We get a little more personal, have a little fun by answering a question we've not prepared for, but executive producer Sarah Smith has prepared for it, and she is here once again to ask us that question. Hi, Sarah. Hi, gentlemen. Um, Today, I am asking a question that will require a little bit of thought. Normally, we hear the icebreaker question of, you know, use or what's one word people would use to describe you, and then you say something fabulous about yourself. Um, What are three words people wouldn't use to describe you. So three words people would not use to describe you. So I'll go first while you guys think. Okay. Words people wouldn't use to describe me are late, unorganized, and quiet. So I'm basically a punctual loudmouth who loves a plan. I, I, the, the, you know, you're definitely not quiet. No one would describe me that way either. <laughs> but when you said they wouldn't describe you as late, I'm like, well, Sarah and I aren't going to have the same answers. Um, I, 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 you know, I, and, and, and I say, and I, uh, we're not doing the what they would, but if they were to use, you know, late might come up in mind. And here's the thing. And, and I've, I've thought about this for a long time. I'll get to the words they wouldn't use to describe me. But, but when it comes to lateness, I feel like I'm the kind of person who's always trying to get as much done as I can before whatever deadline is coming up. I've got to pick up the kids at five. So, hey, if I can just keep working until, you know, or I've got to pick them up at 530, if I can just keep working until 510, I can still make it. Maybe I can still make that last phone call. Maybe I can still. And then I find myself, oh, no, there's traffic and those sort of things. So I'm always trying to squeeze in so much at the last minute that I end up not being so, so I guess that maybe that's not a great habit. I've tried to be better about it. But anyway, you didn't ask that question. You asked what they wouldn't use to describe me. And the most obvious one I can think of is tall. <laughs> no, no one would ever be like, man, how is he going to fit inside that, uh, you know, that compact car? No, they're like, no, that fits him. That suits him just fine. Um, so, no, they wouldn't say tall. The other, what else would they not use to describe me? I mean, quiet. I, we're on the same page on that. No one will ever say I'm quiet. Boy, we don't. He, you know, I don't think they would ever say I'm shy, but that seems similar. Um, I'm, I'm the opposite of shy. I'll introduce myself to anyone. I'll start a conversation. Um, I don't mind being the center of attention, though I don't crave it. Um, so it's why I can, you know, stand up and speak in front of crowds or sing karaoke, even if people think I'm terrible. I don't care. Um, so I, I don't mind that kind of attention. It's why I can work in television. Um so I guess I'll, I'll put, but quiet and shy, I think those are the same. So what would a third one be that they would not describe me as? They would probably not describe me as, uh, well, antisocial. But that's kind of in the same realm, isn't it? I would say. Yeah, I mean, so I guess I don't need to really add anything to that. I, I'm a, I mean, I'm a social person, and, I, and I'm, uh, that's, they wouldn't call me an introvert. That's fair. I'm the opposite of an introvert. I, I, I feed off of human interaction. It's why the pandemic has been so hard. Uh, it's why I love our little times here, because I can see all these faces on a screen in front of me, though it would be better to be sitting next to you and, and having this discussion uh, all together. But yeah, uh, how about you, Jason? What would people not describe you as? Well, I, I think that I think Sarah's three words kind of influenced mine as well. So <laughs> uh, the late that that Brian you just mentioned, I think they they would they would not uh, refer to me as 
being uh, early because at, like you had said, uh, when, when it comes time to like, I just, I, if you give me time, I'm going to use it. So if the deadline is the package, the story needs to be done at five o'clock, you know, I'm going to take every minute I can possibly get because I want to, I want to finesse the story and I want to make sure it's, you know, crystal clear and I want to fact check it, you know, several times to make sure all the data is correct. Uh, all the data are correct. I want to just make sure everything's flowing and, and you know, videos there and, and graphics are set. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm not, you're not going to refer to me as something that's early. I'm going to always push the envelope as far as making and meeting that deadline up jason we we are the enemy of every television news producer <laughs> <laughs> they're just cringing listening to this but yeah uh you allotted me a minute 20 how does a minute 40 sound no <laughs> <laughs> it's fine we'll take it from weather and sports i'm just kidding <laughs> I, I i i don't want to be that reporter that's always begging for an extra five seconds but sometimes i sometimes we got to just ask for it you know especially when you're trying to <laughs> wrestle with these complex political issues you know try to be fair and balanced to everybody and 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 so can i please have an extra 10 seconds sometimes i joke with the producers and say well can i have uh, how about 4 minutes no no that's it. i'll just take my <laughs> so then 10 seconds sounds like so easy right <laughs> Th- that's when you hand that you, you get the producer to agree sure 215 is fine and you hand the 2 minute 15 second second script to the photographer with 45 minutes to go hey we're on at 5 good luck <laughs> Uh, what we also do with, with this is that, you know, when you come in two to three seconds shorter than the allotted time, then you put that in the bank, right? So two seconds yeah. this yep. day and then and then at the end of the week, okay, can I have an extra 10, please? Remember, yeah, remember that time? I, I saved you 10. Now can I have extra 20? <laughs> and if you want to win producers as your friends, you got to come in like a second shorter than what they allotted you. That, that'll <laughs> win, win you lots of friends. Um, so, so early... I like, you know, the, the discussion that all of you had about being quiet. You know, I'm not quiet. Uh, I want to talk. I want to hear your story. I want to, you know, feel what feel for what's going on out there. And I was trying to figure out what the adjective is for being a really bad cook. <laughs> they would not describe you as a culinary genius. They would not describe I, I, me as a culinary genius. Uh, for example, when I was a bachelor, like my go, some of my go-to meals were oatmeal with peanut butter and yogurt and banana mixed together, and that would be one of my go-to meals. Uh, another one would be taking uh, uh, turkey, uh, ground turkey. I would take ground turkey, and I would just saute that, and it was it was really bland and really, it, it almost had a foul That's scent. That's it? Yeah. Just ground turkey? Yeah, like ground turkey with like, like maybe adding <laughs> a little bit of seasoning, but it all, like, my roommate at the time would be like, the house stinks. You know, this does not smell pleasant. No offense to the turkeys. By the way, we had some beautiful turkey action in our yard today. We had this. No uh, to the it, was, it was amazing. It was amazing. The, uh, the, um, yeah. I mean, uh, you were doing was, the arm uh, motion the, like it's the chicken dance. I don't the know. The chicken dance. Yeah. <laughs> like their blooms Feathers were going up. The 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 chest was the going hackles. up. And it was it was amazing. What whatever the turkeys were doing in my yard today to try to attract the, a mate. It was. It was uh, it was wonderful. So anyway, those are my three adjectives. I, not a culinary genius, definitely. Jason, you are um, you may not be a culinary genius, but now I feel better about my own cooking skills <laughs> because it, it, I do make ground turkey quite a lot. But I'll at least throw it in some hamburger helper. Yeah. You know, 
step up. Oh, man, that sounds delicious. Well, uh, thank you, uh, Jason, for joining us once again for the podcast. It's always fun to have you on and informative. So I appreciate you taking the time out of a very busy day. And now we're going to let you head off and, and try to make one of those deadlines for a news producer today. I hope so. Hope, hopefully it'll be like five seconds short. And uh, if you want to see the clips of the turkey, I'll, I'll be posting those on my Twitter page uh, at Jason Calvey on Twitter and Jason Calvey TV at Facebook. Well, if you have a question you'd like to submit for our Off the Record segment or you want to suggest a topic that we should discuss, an issue you think we should investigate, send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. That's fox6investigators at fox.com. As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible, producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. And please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Brian Polson. We'll be back again next week. (laughs) 